Hi, I'm Robin Robertson. I'm Zara Robertson, and welcome to the 100th episode! All right. (laughs) So this 100th episode celebration I had mentioned on social media is going to be an episode where we take listener questions. It's an ask me anything. And we have quite a few questions. We Some we might have to put together, but that's what we're going to do. My daughter is my interviewer today. She's interviewing me, asking me the questions that have come in from listeners. So that's that's what, how we're going to do things for the 100th celebration. Okay, should we get right into it? All right. Starting off with question one. What are your homeschool fears? Okay, my homeschool fears. I think my homeschool fears are just like everyone else's homeschool fears, that we are making the right choices and doing the right things for our family and that we're still providing the opportunity and foundation for our kids to have a good life and to be able to be who they choose to be at whatever time in, they, in their life that, uh, that they're living. Um, yeah, I think that's the general fear actually of all parents, whether we're homeschooling or not, is that we are doing the right thing as parents and supporting and loving our kids and setting them up for the right journey for life. That would be my homeschool fears. All right. Next one is how we homeschool high school. Okay. Uh, Homeschooling high school. Well, so my oldest is high school age and... um, And I think really what we're doing is what we have done before in previous years. Um, So far with with homeschooling or unschooling high school for my son, it's just really being in communication with him uh, as to what he needs and what he wants and how we can support him best uh, and his goals going forward and how right now, especially for his specific goals, right now is a very important time. And he has specific interests and needs and wants that he wants met and needs support with. So that's really how we're doing that is we're just finding out from him where he sees himself or wants to be within the next couple years or in the future and what he wants to do right now. So to be very specific (laughs) using that example, and Zara, you can fill in anytime as well for anything that you see that you feel maybe I've forgotten or I should add. Um, My son... Wanted, he had expressed to us a few months ago that he wants to get his high school diploma. And that was something he was uncertain of, of before, but he decided he wants to be able to graduate with a high school diploma. So where we live, there are certain requirements that he will need in order to have that, which means uh, fulfilling specific classes and getting certain credits. Now, the catch with that is, is that he still wants to um, really create his own program or he still wants to be able to homeschool or be self-directed. So there's always that catch, right? When you want to jump through the hoops to get something like a high school diploma, you have to give up a bit of your self-direction. So what he would like to do, and I call it hacking high school, and he always laughs because he's like, I don't want to call it that. This is just his high school program. So what he wants to do is he wants to go to our local high school to take a, a few classes, specific classes. Really, he says he wants to do that so he can hang out with his friends at school in those times, which is all good. That's what he wants to do. And then um, he might do some classes through distance learning or online. Um, And then his other classes and credits, we're going to get them in unique ways. So he has found an outdoor program uh, that run to the summer that is going to give him credits in the summer program. It's like two weeks in the summer uh, that will give him at least half of the credits that he needs to graduate from high school. And it's actually perfect because it will give put him up and and prepare him for a certain certification while life i think guiding or outdoor guiding that he can obtain uh, after he's done a couple summers with them uh, it's great skills and a, and a great way, I think, to connect with other people. 
and then it won't be time sitting in a classroom during the year. The other thing, my son is, um, he's already out working. So at this moment, as we record, he does not live at home <laughs> anymore. Uh, he will be back home, but he's gone out living life and uh, what he wants to do. He's actually working for an outfitters right now, a guiding outfitters. And um, so he's there in the Northern Canadian wilderness, working full time, building trails and packing horses and taking care of horses and going on guided hunts as a helper here. So if he can get credits for that, wonderful. We're not sure if that will happen, but those are just some of the real life experiences that he's adding to his learning that he's getting right now because he's not stuck in a classroom and he really understands that. Um, the other requirement that he gave us for high school is that he doesn't want to, to complete high school in the three years. He'd like to do it quicker. Um, and he'd like to still be able to do things like go out and work for an outfitters, be able to have a couple months off in the year to hunt and, and do those things. So, um, you know, we're still in the process of working those things out. Um, but we just, but that's our journey is supporting him and those things that he wants to do and needs to do. And we're just asking questions, speaking with people, finding out, speaking with others who've done similar things and finding out how we can hack it. Uh, really, I think that's the best term to use. So that's how we are unschooling high school right now. And I'll definitely keep you up to date because I know that others have asked uh, to keep to keep them up to date with this journey uh, with my son. So he'll be back in the fall, uh, later fall, and we'll let you know how it's going. Do you think I answered that? Is there anything I left out? I don't think so. Okay. My daughter's now an only child at home, so it's been an adjustment for sure. But uh, yeah, so so I hope that gives enough detail. If not, just let me know and I can uh, talk about that more in another episode. Next question. Have you learned to respect your kids and listen to their boundaries? Okay, that's a really good question. I would like to say, yeah, I, I hope I do. Um, and, and I think that's probably a question maybe my daughter can answer maybe a little bit better. Um, respect them in, in the way that we listen to what they have to say. They have a voice. They're part of our conversation. They're part of our family. And um, we value what they have to say. Um, I think that's an important part of our learning and living as well and unschooling is that um, it's not a top-down authoritarian relationship, that it's not like, okay, this is what time you have to get up today, this is what you have to do today, this is what we're going to study, this is what I'm going to measure and test you on, or this is what you have to pursue. It's about our kids giving us feedback and us supporting supporting them and helping them uh, in what they need and want in their daily lives. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a continuous practice, though. Uh, I, you know, I was definitely raised, and I'm sure many of you were raised in the the idea of that parents always know best, or the, you know, the job of a kid is to be seen and not to be heard, or um, that, you know, you you listen to a parent, the parent has complete authority, and what they say goes, and that's it. Parents always know better. I get we don't always know better. We're, we're just still learning at this. This is, even with each kid, even though, um, because everyone's so different, the parenting process is different for each person and for each child. Um, so I'm always learning all the time. Um, and I think that is what it always helps me if I go into each day remembering that instead of always just trying to get it right. Um, because then I can also drive myself crazy as well. Um, so do you feel respected? Maybe I'll, I'll turn that to my daughter and ask her, do you feel respected or are there things that we can do or that I can do that would help you to feel more respected? No, I think I feel pretty respected. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for you to be respected? What does respect mean? Yeah, like for you, when you think about that, why or how do you feel respected? Um, well, for example, if I'm in my bedroom and I'm just laying down, maybe, maybe I'm on my phone, maybe, and my parents knock on my door. They don't just barge in. Mm, right, right. Okay. That's a good example because I didn't even think about that. We respect that. 
when you're in your room and your door's closed, you obviously need some space or you need some privacy or you need that separation. And therefore, before we barge in on, on you, we um, asked, we asked to enter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I understand. Okay. That's okay. Uh, and listening to boundaries, I guess that would be one example of listening to boundaries. Um, my daughter has a boundary set or if my son's at home and if he's in his room with his door closed, there's a boundary there. I guess in a way it's a physical boundary as well that they're asking for that space. Um, and yeah, we, we try our best to listen to their boundaries. But again, you know what? It's a continuous practice because <laughs> I, I know I don't always do that. Um, but one thing I appreciate that my kids do is they will let me know if I've crossed a line or if I've said something that has been hurtful or if I have crossed a boundary that they have um, requested and I haven't respected it. And so I really appreciate that feedback so that I can do better and we can readjust things and move forward together. So anything you want to add? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, next question. What have your kids taught you about the best way to raise them? Oh, that's another great question. The best way to raise my kids, uh, I would say, is to respect them and look at them each individually. Um, one of the things that they've taught me is that it's not a blanket approach. <laughs> you can have, in the way that you can have, um, just feel that all these rules or all these conditions or this way of life applies to both of my kids equally or in the way that it's going to meet their needs in the exact same way if we do the same thing. Um, they're both very different people and their needs and wants are different. And I think that um, what I've learned from them is to recognize those differences and and respect those differences and support them in those differences. The other thing that I've that they've taught me as well is again, I think love. You know, I think that things always flow for us when we do so from um, from love instead of upset or anger or you know, we we are able to be more open when we, we begin from love and connection in that way. So um, that's one thing that they constantly constantly remind me in just their being as well and how things go. Um, so that's probably one of one of the many things that they've taught me the best way to to raise them. Next question: Have you made any big mistakes that you wish to let others know about and maybe learn from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Okay. And that can be a vulnerable question as well, too. So big mistakes. Um, if we're thinking about, if we're talking about homeschooling in that way, um, I'll, I'll, okay, so one of the mistakes, and I think this is always mistakes we always learn from, right? And, and having perspective now lets me look at things differently as well than when we're right in the situation. Um, so a couple years ago, I uh, my we were here homeschooling, and my niece homeschooled with us for about two years. I think she joined us for our homeschooling journey, and it was wonderful having her. And obviously, we had the chance to have a great connection and relationship because of that, because she was here. But I think the mistake that I feel that I made that was a fairly big mistake in that. Um, was that, uh, one, I don't think I listened to my children enough. That was one of the times where I don't think I respected enough of what they had to say and the boundaries that they had asked for. And one of those times where we felt, well, this is a decision that maybe you don't understand fully that we think will be good for you or good um, in the end, when I think they could see things from a perspective that my husband and I couldn't see things or others could see things in. Um and so we overrode the, some of their suggestions, and really they they understood things better than we did. Um, so that one of that big mistakes was not listening to what our children had to say and their feedback on it. Um, so to, to explain things a little bit more, I think what happened was is when you homeschool, you get into a rhythm and a flow that's really yours, that's your family's, and it's it works well when everyone really begins to own it. Um, 
my our my niece and my kids they're super close but what happens is as much as we still have family um she she wasn't in our rhythm and flow and uh because when someone is not with us full time it brings a different dynamic and there's different values and beliefs that her family has when it comes to learning that differ from ours so in one way, you know, the basic way, it interrupts the flow and rhythm. And then it's also trying to get someone to understand our flow and rhythm when they're coming from a different set of values and beliefs around learning. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has their differences, but it definitely affects our homeschool flow in that way. The other thing that happens is because of that, and, and I say this as well because I always talk about one of the important things when you're homeschooling or have to make certain choices and decisions in homeschooling is to always go back to your values and beliefs. What's important to you? What's important to your family? Um, those basic values and, and fundamentals or the foundation uh, Really understand that. And when you do, then your decision-making can come from that. You, you, then you think, if I make this choice, will it align with my values, with my beliefs and goals? And go back to that. And if it does, then great. If not, then you have to relook at things. So what happens is, is I think a lot of that time, instead of, instead of um, living with our our values, our family values and goals when it comes to learning and living, I think I was trying to adapt too much to others' values and goals when it came to learning and living. And that, of course, causes uh, an interruption in our flow and it caused a lot of internal conflict in myself because then I wasn't being true to myself as well, which then really affects our homeschool. And it affected our homeschool flow, rhythm, and relationships, which then really essentially affects our connection. Because for our family, a huge fundamental value for our learning and living is connection and communication. Um, so when that's affected, when our foundational values are affected, it kind of turns everything upside down in that way. So that would be the mistake, one of the bigger mistakes I made. Um, it was a great experience and it was great for so many other things, but I wouldn't go into it trying to meet anyone else's values until I was really clear on what my values were, what our family values were, and making sure that those choices still lined up with that. Um, and so that was a big learning lesson. And, um, and I think, and, and other, and also other, other factors in life, um, also influenced my decision. And uh, so that was a learning lesson for me in, again, getting really understanding and defining my values and beliefs, what's really important, and then making decisions from that center. Um, and I think that would have had, uh, life would have moved quite differently or had a different impact on things then. Okay. Next question. Favorite family activity? Our favorite family activity. Um, well, my daughter can answer this as well. Uh, and maybe she can answer from her perspective. But I think our favorite family activity are doing things together, like having experiences together, like when we travel or going on our road trips or doing, we like, we were actually talking about this before, doing things outside together. So um, we like to snowboard and ski. So we, we do things like that when we snowboard and ski together or do trips like that. Um, what else, what else did you say too? Um, well, we have these date day things where we each go on date days. So for example, I would go with my dad one every two months maybe. And then again, I'd go with my mom and then my brother would go with my mom while I was with my dad. And then he'd go with my dad while I was with my mom. That was fun. We don't really do it much anymore because mom and dad are busy, but and we're busy too. But yeah. And also I think traveling is our favorite family activity. Yeah. Um, so if I, I'll explain the date days and it's true. We've kind of got, we've gotten out of sync with our, our date days. And then also COVID affected. We started up again and then COVID stopped it because we couldn't do anything outside of just our home. 
Um, I guess there was a few little things, but um, what we started, this is an idea from the family board meetings that actually we got from Jim and Jamie Shields. And I've actually interviewed both Jim and Jamie on the show uh, on an episode. It was a couple months ago or last year. And also Jim Shields was one of my first interviews on this podcast. So I definitely suggest going back and finding those episodes. So Jim and Jamie actually have something. They've they've revamped it to their, their company called 18 Summers. And before it was a family board meetings. But the idea is that if your kids are going to school, for example, or they're growing up, you have what is 18 summers with them. That's the maximum that you have. And if you put it in that content context, you think, I've got 18 summers with my kids. And you want to make the most, the best of it. And really, their their foundation as well as a family connection. So one of the practices that they do and they recommend, and, and we started doing it as well, is are those family meetings or the family, we call them our date days. So it's one-on-one, a one-on-one date. So if it's a date with my daughter, for example, we choose a date and it should, you know, the recommendation is once every three months, I think, for the individual date. Um, so I would ask my daughter what she wants to do and the day is dedicated to her. And she lets me know and she says, well, I'd like to, you know, let's go out for lunch and let's see this or let's do this. And we do that. We put our devices away and we have the time to hang out together and just do things together and and talk or chat or whatever, whatever really is on my daughter's plan of what she wants to do with just the two of us or my son. And I say yes to it. And We just have that time. So, and then that's a regular scheduled time once every three months. So those are our date days. And we've done different things. Like um, when we lived in Korea, we would go to an amusement park. (laughs) That was one that I think I did a few times with each of my kids. Uh, Zara and I have like gone for lunch and we've gotten our nails done and, you know, different things like that. It really depends on your child, right? And what they want to do. So, but it's a great connection time one-on-one which is also really nice to have as much as we homeschool together and we're all together, sometimes having that one-on-one time, um, you know, it makes a difference, right? It brings a different element into things. So I'm, that's great that you, you love those days too. So yeah, and otherwise our outside activities together as a family. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to the next question? Yes. This one is definitely just for you. It's unschooling three-year-olds. <laughs> uh, unschooling three-year-olds. So honestly, the biggest thing, unschooling three-year-olds, play free, play free, unstructured play, um, go outside, discover what's outside, and that can be anywhere you live. If you're in a city, you know, walk around, explore, find parks near you, go to museums, go to centers. Um, you know, just discover the world around you. Go out together for a snack. Um, you know, go to art galleries even. Uh, and if you're inside, just play, build Lego together, paint, tell stories, read books out loud together, um, have a basket filled with, um, you know, scrap clothes and scarves and, and things like that to do dress up and, um, you know, bake together, be in the kitchen and create delicious things, dance together, put music on, enjoy all of those things and just have fun. Uh, A book I recommend is uh, Free to Learn by Peter Gray. And he talks about the power of unstructured free play, especially for our children and how important that is and how we're letting go of that. Um, Especially when they're three, it's just you know, I think we try and fit these academic activities in because we want them to be ahead or have a head start or to get ahead. Um, really, free play does all those things. Uh, we we uh, were I think we've been conditioned to think that it has to look like school or a workbook or a time scheduled where they do these other things. Um, so, but you can get that out of free play. So, I want to give it a specific example. We're talking about things like writing. And so maybe you are looking at a way to get your kid to uh, learn how to form their letters and hold their pencils and things like that so they get ready to, to write early. Some of those things happen in our natural environment. So if we're playing with sand, 
if we're finding rocks and different size of rocks and stacking them together. We are learning to skip rocks. If you're by a lake and finding rocks and learning to skip rocks, how you hold it, the angle of it, all of those things, um, building a fire and finding all of the twigs and pieces of wood and piling it together and, and stoking the fire, roasting marshmallows on the fire and holding your, your stick, your marshmallow stick and turning it in the right direction, painting and having either finger paints before you even have a paintbrush and, and painting with your fingers, uh, playing with a ball, different sizes of balls and holding them. Uh, Play-Doh and clay are fantastic and forming figures. You can even, if you want to do those letters, um, building letters out of Play-Doh, tracing letters in the sand or in dirt. Um, you know, all of those things that naturally occur in life and play are all fundamentals to those academic parts of learning, if that's what you're really thinking of. So I would just have a lot of those things available, um, space to go outside, space to explore, to run around, um, to build blocks, to make believe, uh, and just to have those experiences. I think that is really essential. The one thing is, is we don't have to worry about purchasing all these things and having a home overloaded with toys and objects. Um, sometimes keeping it simple is the best thing. And, um, you know, things like, like I mentioned, having a box of scarves and old clothes for that, for make believe and dress up or Legos or blocks, and then going outside and having things like rocks to paint on, um, and, and going and gathering things in nature, pine cones or leaves or things like that. Uh, sometimes that's all that we need, puzzles to play with and little games to build with. Board games are fantastic. We love board games in this house as well. Uh, and there's some great ones that even from memory, uh, what are some other, what was that one that you like to, what are some of the ones that we had that we don't even have anymore because... I don't know. We used to puzzle a lot. Yeah, we did a lot of puzzles, like the bigger. And when they were younger, we had the bigger size puzzles, the floor puzzles, so they're easier to, to handle as well. Yeah, um, that's funny. I'm not even thinking about Someone had actually mentioned on social media the game Trouble. And I remember I loved that game when I was younger. I never introduced my kids to it, but, you know, things like that that brought back memories of that game. Operation, um, that's for finger dexterity. That might be Hungry Hippos. Um, different things like that, that actually I've seen ones like that, those in like the secondhand store. Um, so it's a great place to look for purchases. When my daughter uh, was three, we lived in Jamaica at the time, three and four, and then we lived in South Korea. Um, so two very different environments. And really, what do we like? We played at the beach every day. We went to the beach every afternoon or they, you know, the kids played in the yard. Uh, when we lived in the city, we actually like just went out on adventures a lot. We would go out and we'd ride public transportation. We would walk around our neighborhood and discover new little places. Because it was Seoul, South Korea, there was always a new adventure around the corner. Even riding the bus was a huge adventure. <laughs> we had museums close to us, so we actually went to museums quite a bit. We found a children's museum or children's science museum we would visit quite often. Um, we found like even art galleries and museums, even I know when my kids were young, they enjoyed going and visiting. So yeah. Are there any other things that you remember when you were younger, Zara, that we did that, that stuck out? Um, what did we do? Well, while we were living in Korea, me or my brother and I used to do house work. We used to sweep the floors, mop the floors, dust stuff like that and we'd get like a dollar 50 cents like what something like that dollar two dollars for it from mom and dad and my brother and I would go up because we could walk up in our neighborhood and go to this store and I'd always get like a treat for myself not every night maybe or was it every night I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Like once a week, maybe. I guess whenever you guys saved enough money that you could go shopping on your, and yes, here, we did let our kids go out by themselves to the store. They knew the neighborhood very well. The shop owners knew them. And so my daughter would be four or five years old at that time. Is that right? Four? Four or five, yeah. Four and five. And my son was like seven. Is that right? Yeah. 
and they would go out, which was actually really common in Korea, seeing kids that age out walking from school or taking transportation uh, or going to the store on their own. So it's a whole other idea and form of independence that goes around with it. We actually don't see in North America, unfortunately. But yes, so they would save their money and go to the store. Continue. <laughs> I interrupted you. No, that was it. Uh, <laughs> save the money, go to the store, get a treat, and just come back home. I remember doing that a lot. Yeah. So why are you mentioning this now? I think that's. It's, I think it's a great example or story to build up or to talk about. Why? What was important about that for you? Um, I don't know. I like to get treats. Mm-hmm. Did did uh, did we give any limitations on the treats, or it's whatever you had money for that you would buy? Whatever we had money for, but usually we wouldn't save up that money. And I remember if I did save up money, I'd save up for to get Lego. Yes. But we usually didn't have that much money, so usually we could just buy as much as we wanted with our money, how much we had earned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was something that, uh, yeah, my husband and I, you know, I've talked about allowance a little bit. We've, we've changed our practices and adjusted it with allowance over the years as it's fit our kids, but we would do that for basic cleaning up chores. They would get an allowance when they're really young, and then they could spend it on what they wanted to spend it. Many times it was Lego. They would save up for a big Lego um, purchase. Like You bought like the cruise ship Lego, I think. That was a huge one. Uh, or then little treats like that. Uh, And yeah, we would let them choose. They would choose what they would want to choose. They would go to the store on their own. They knew they knew where it was. It was walking distance. They'd walk up the hill and and visit the store and come back and enjoy their treats at home. And I think that was great being able to do that on your own. Uh, Actually, I'll share a little story (laughs) because one time my kids went, (laughs) they went to go to the store. Maybe this was the first time. And we were, they went up and my husband and I were at home and we were, you know, we were doing our thing, knowing that they would come back. And, you know, it was funny because we thought we heard feet running by our, our, our place because we had kind of this big balcony. You could hear a lot of the street noise where we lived in Korea. And my son came back from the store. But my daughter, my daughter never did. <laughs> what do you mean never did? Well, I'm sorry. Came back. You came, but not with my son. So, of course, as a parent, you know, you, you get concerned. So we asked her brother where she was. And he said, I don't know. I thought she was back home. I thought she'd come home already. So obviously, no, she wasn't home. So we thought, well, maybe we'll wait a little bit because maybe she just had lagged behind and he didn't see her. So we waited and we waited and we didn't see her. And I'm trying to think, did dad walk up to the store? Or maybe her brother actually ran back to the store to see if she was there, came back. She wasn't. He didn't see her anywhere. So, of course, we started to get really, really concerned uh, because, you know, what happened to our daughter? And she was young. So then we were getting our shoes on and about to head out our door and to our gate. And here comes our daughter, uh, happy with her treat in her hand. And we asked her, where were you? You know, we... We were told her we were concerned, we were scared, we were worried because she, her brother had come back without her and she was nowhere to be seen. She was not back at the store. We couldn't find her anywhere. It turned out that she had gone to the store, but the store that her and her brother usually went to didn't have what she wanted to have. But she remembered that there was another store in the neighborhood that did have the item that she wanted to purchase. The thing was, is that store was not very close to our home. It actually... We lived on, I guess if you've ever been to Seoul, you might know in some neighborhoods, there's a lot of streets that are on a hill, um, kind of like San Francisco in some ways. And so we lived on a fairly steep hill. And so she ran down the hill and there was actually a main, very busy road in this neighborhood. And this other store happened to be on that busy road, but it was quite a few blocks away. So I guess what she had done, she knew the way. She ran down to the main road, ran up the main road to the store, purchased what she wanted at this specific store that had it, and then ran all the way home. And she just told us what she did. The store didn't have what she wanted. She knew where it was, and she went and got it. So we were relieved she was okay. We thought it was wonderful for her 
you know, for her strong mind and knowing what she wanted and her sense of direction, being able to find it because it wasn't close. Um, we expressed our concern because that road was a very busy road. Uh, that part of Korea actually didn't really have, I don't even know if there was actually sidewalks, wasn't there? The, the sidewalks are very, very tiny in this one neighborhood. And so there was a lot of cars coming back and forth. Um, but she did it. <laughs> And yeah, we just asked that if she's going to go to that store again, she let us know and preferably we would go with her on that longer journey. So there's a little story for you that we wanted to share. So we ho I hope I answered the question of unschooling three-year-olds. Yeah, free play and also help support their autonomy in what is an appropriate um, way for them in your area. Okay, okay, this next question I'm going to ask to you, Zara, because I think you're probably best to answer it from your viewpoint, and then I can answer it from a parent viewpoint. What do your children think is the coolest or best thing about being unschooled? Um, well, probably what I really like the most is that I can really wake up at any time and I don't have to get ready for anything. I can stay in my PJs all day, <laughs> which I love. Um, I don't have deadlines for things. I don't have a deadline for a test or anything like that. Not that I do tests. Um, isn't a deadline for, isn't a deadline good though? Shouldn't we all have lots of deadlines? Uh, not all the time. No. <laughs> um, I also, I also like that I can switch up my schedule. Uh, you know, people in school, they have schedule Tuesdays, go to gym, the same thing every week most of the time but I can do whatever I want any day and yeah probably the coolest slash best thing about being homeschooled that's probably it all right thanks thank you Zaza and then as for my son because he's not here uh, he is living out in the Canadian wilderness right now working for an outfitters uh, I didn't get a chance to hear back from him about his response to that, but I'm guessing that will pretty well be his response, that he has the time and space to do those things, to learn and explore and be mentored by those in that area, with in those areas that he loves to learn about, that he's passionate about. And as a person who really loves to be outside, that's usually moving, that is always in movement, uh, I think he appreciates having the space to do that and not having to sit in a desk for hours at a time each day. Um, but again, I'm speaking for him. I will follow up with that when we, we hear a little bit more about his response as well. Okay. All right. Next question. <laughs> How do I have the confidence to unschool in so many schooly messages of our culture? Who? That is a fantastic question. So the confidence to unschool. Well, one thing I, I do want to say is because I have this podcast and it connects me with a broader community quite often, I get a chance to engage in conversations on unschooling and self-directed learning. And I get connected with a lot of families that have done this life or are living this life and, and kids that have grown up this way. So it gives me a really good perspective to see how it works outside of the idea or the school culture. Um, so I'm exposed to those experiences probably in some ways more often than a lot of people. Um, so either with people reaching out to me and sharing their stories or with just me connecting with others so that I can hear other stories of kids who have grown up unschooled or how parents are doing things differently. So that helps. And, and that would be one of my suggestions is to find out those other experiences and stories and try to get connected with others in that journey or in, in your community even as much as you can. I know that's not always possible. And depending where you live, I think without this podcast, where we live, it might be a bit more difficult because where we live, if we look around right now, we cannot see anyone. <laughs> we just see our, you know, this is, you know, where we live here. Our, our closest neighbor is quite a ways away. Um, if anyone, we live in Northern Alberta, Canada, and it's a fairly rural, uh, remote community. Um, otherwise, the confidence to unschool. So on the other side of things, you may know or not know that I also do work with the public school system. I'm a local school board trustee for our area. And so I work 
uh, within the institution and how that institution works and functions quite often. So I hear the opposite side on that way as well. The power of structure and having the curriculum laid out and how um, what kids should do and could do. And the other side of things, the resources that are sometimes supplied because of education dollars within that institution um, and things like that as well. So how does it work for me? Um, you know, to be honest, there are some times when I'm immersed in that other world where I do come home and I have to think, you know, and I start questioning things and I have to kind of give myself some space, a day of space to just be free of everything, to have that mental space to really then again, and this is what I'm going to come back to that I talked about earlier, going back to what is really true for me, to our, to myself for my values and beliefs and for our family values and beliefs. One of the things that's really important for us is autonomy um, and respect and connection. And for us, in the way that we've lived so far, I find that our life supports that and connects with that. And um, I don't think that going to school uh, or that that culture would fit those things that are really important to us or have been important to us right now. What we've chosen uh, has been the best fit for us. So that absolutely helps is always again going back to our values and beliefs and what's fundamental for us and reflecting on is what we're doing right now, does it fit with those values and beliefs? Does it support that? Are the choices that we make, are they supporting that? And our goals or our decisions for the future, is that still going to be in alignment with our values and beliefs? That always helps to center me. Um, and then I also look at, you know, the days where I'm doing things like this and, you know, my daughter and I are having our, our date days or we're spending time as family, we're playing board games and we're doing different things like that. And I'm maybe helping them with a the project they have or, you know, we're just in that moment of connection and not having to stress or worry about um, exam times coming up or, you um, things happening in the school that have to be dealt with that uh, happen around you, but you have no control over kind of thing. Um, then it, I, it helps me to have that confidence and to feel that we're in the flow. And it helps me to reflect on the good things that we enjoy. So here's the other thing as well. And I'd spoke about this actually on in my Patreon community. I'd made a video and put it in my Patreon community. And it had really come up for me after our last unschooling Q&A that we hold every month, myself and Judy Arnell and Golda David. Our last unschooling Q&A, um, it had come up a little bit about this and I, and I thought about it more after and so I wanted to speak to it. So I'd made this video, but really it's, it's about this. You know, as human beings, we, I think one of the things we always strive to have because of the whole, if you want, the evolutionary um, the evolutionary growth that we have, our fundamental fight, flight, freeze mechanics, we want to have certainty, right? So everything that we try and do in our life in so many ways is trying to give us certainty, that security, right? So we are not going into a fight, flight, or freeze moment. Certainty, I think for most humans, however we build certainty in our lives, helps to shield us from those certain things. And so, yes, the culture around us really pushes that if you do these things, you'll be certain to achieve this. The thing is, and I think maybe this has also been an advantage, uh, not just now with my trustee role, but I've worked within the realm of education, whether it's private education or um, through that being in a lot of communication with public education as well and families and kids and and their, their stories in the institution and school journey. Um, I've seen a lot of families and kids who have checked off all of those boxes and there was no certainty for them. What the certainty, what, what was said was going to happen did not necessarily happen. Or even the ones where it seemed like everything was, you know, they got the best grades, they did all the right things, they were, um, you know, they were the model student or the model child or teenager or whatnot. But then when they got to independence and adulthood, um, 
you know, those things didn't hold for them anymore. They, it was not what fulfilled them or helped them to be purposeful or to even be, I don't even want to say happy. We're not always going to be 100% happy to be content and satisfied with who they are. Um, Many times it led to the opposite because so many of those structures and circumstances had them reaching for external goals or the external um, uh, fears or plans of others upon them. And they dedicated their lives to that. When it came to living their own life, their own lives, they struggled. So I think for me, I have had the experience and lived within many circumstances where I've seen firsthand that what the institution in our culture says is certain is not certain. And I know as human beings, we try and recreate that certainty as much as we can. And school gives us that idea of certainty. Um, But I realize that the only certain thing that we have is how we, is ourselves, how we decide to um, think about things or react to things or feel on things or be present with our feelings on things. That's the only that's the only measure, I guess, of control that we really have. Um, also, having said that, I also understand that most likely with my personality and the way I grew up, I'm also probably a little bit more uncom- more comfortable with uncertainty than some others are. Uh, my parents, I love my parents. <laughs> They're really <laughs> unique individual people. <laughs> and I think through the lives that they've also chose to live um, and growing up in the household with them, um, we were always really different from others around us. And I think that has also had me being comfortable with being different from others. Uh, in so many circumstances, like, you know, my mom, my mom and dad, that there is an interracial marriage. It's a mixed marriage from two very different countries and cultures. Um, you know, my mom and dad met, my mom had on, my mom had gone to Jamaica on a vacation for two weeks and she never left. She stayed there for 14 years. And during that time is where she met my dad. I mean, this would have been in the early seventies, right? So, um, and she came from a pretty white town in Southern Alberta, Canada, um, I don't really think anybody else that she knew was doing anything like that. Uh, she had backpack with her backpacked Europe for a year with her best friend when she was eighteen. Uh, my mom is seventy six right now. How old, Grandma? Seventy six, seventy seven. Seventy six, turning seventy seven. So, you know, she she's lived a different life. My my parents have traveled. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why I love to travel. We've done it since I was an infant. I was born in Canada, but when we were six weeks old. We moved back. When I was six weeks old, we moved back to Jamaica. Um, and we moved back when I was school age, back to Canada. But in between that, we had lived in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria. We had lived back to Jamaica twice. We lived in the United States and back and forth from Canada. So a lot of my life experience gave me different perspective from many of those around me. And it allowed me to feel comfortable with being pretty different from others. Um, So I think that also helps with my confidence in following a different path in that way. And knowing that we're all unique, and that's, I think, the beauty of it. I try and see the beauty of our differences and how our world would be really boring. (laughs) And we wouldn't have the beauty and innovations that we have right now if we all did the exact same thing, if we all led the exact same path. And I think those differences is what allows our world to be innovative, to be creative, um, to be wonderful. And I think of all the people that have created wonderful things because they did not follow that traditional path that our culture puts out. And here's a few other things I just want to add as well. And it's interesting because this is actually such a deep question. Um, I could dedicate an entire episode to this question, actually. And actually, I think probably I should because, um, you know, it's been asked along the same lines before. And it's a really important question, I think, for many unschoolers and homeschoolers as well. Anytime you're doing something against the grain, right? When you are almost fighting, it's counterculture, you know, counter to what those around you are doing. 
when we think about, especially when we're talking about our culture, our culture of school around us, so that society has created, we also have to remember the um, the information that's being fed to us or what we receive and how valid that is a lot of times. So if we, I want to speak directly to something as an example like um, uh, social media and television and those ideas of school that is really portrayed to many of our young people and to us as well. It's really idealized, isn't it? All the movies, the teen drama movies, and all of those things where school is portrayed as something that is so, you know, beautiful or there's angst, but then everyone, you know, conquers all and even the down and out teens or the down and out kids still reach success or popularity or whatever is portrayed. You know, we have to remember that there's a theme to that, right? Um, the, the funny thing is, is, and I was talking about it with my husband one time, is a lot of those kids who are actors and actresses in those shows or talking about those things on social media, a lot of those kids don't even go to school themselves, Many have never been to school. Many have homeschooled themselves. If you're a young person who has a career in the music industry or in um, any of those other industries, even with now social media and TikTok and things like that, when they're producing high-end videos and a lot of content and things like that, they um, many times homeschool or don't go to school or haven't attended school. Uh, if you if you look into that, especially ones that start young, think when do they have even time to do a lot of that stuff for what they're producing and the hours that they're putting in, the amount of travel, um, you know, so... So when we stop and look at the reality of what goes behind a production, and if anyone is familiar with things like movies or uh, video production and the different industries like that, those are long hours. You might have a video that is maybe 15 minutes long, but it took an, you know, it took a whole crew to create. Um, it took hours to to film, never mind the editing or even the creation process that goes into it beforehand. Um, and everything else that you have that supports all of that, your wardrobe, your makeup, hair, um, stylus, all of those sort of things, um, you know, we don't realize how how much effort goes into maybe a small video or shot or even a show about about those things and the reality behind it. So, you know, that's always a reminder of what's real and then what is created for our uh, viewing pleasure in that way. And here's the last thing that I wanted to leave with. And this is actually really big. Um, you know, it's like a, it's a kudos to many educators as well, uh, especially when you find educators that really understand how things work, whether they're in or out of the system um, and the, how the institution doesn't fit all that go in or all that are part of it. You know, I, because of my son, for example, how he is really wants to, he wants to get his high school diploma, but he really wants to create it in his own way. He's going to, and he will, he's just, that's the way he, he'll find his own path to get what he needs to get that. Um, and it won't look like it will, like it does traditionally for many. Um, you know, but part of that is, is we have to get, um, we have to get our school and, and educators on this on our side to help this to happen. You know, there's many things that we've already laid out so that it is just easier to access or easier for um, for the school to help us out with. But the response that I've received from educators that we've slowly been talking with has been so positive. It has been fantastic, and it hasn't been. Uh, you know, well, you can't do this. This is the way this will never happen. It's actually been the opposite. It's been, wow, I wish I could have done that when I was his age. And to be able to know, to be able to spend your time focused on what you love to do at this age is such a gift. Um, you know, yeah, let's see what we can do and how we can create something different. Those are the responses that we've been getting. And those are from educators that work in the system. So, I think that's only inspiring, don't you? Isn't isn't that encouraging? And I think it is shifting where others are seeing, especially now with the shift that's happened with COVID, that there's other ways. And maybe even educators themselves have wanted to expand and do other things. 
but possibly they haven't seen what's possible until now. And because they now do see what's possible and get to meet families like ours who do things that are outside of the norm, then it also encourages them to try other things and to be flexible and willing to create different unique forms of learning that we can all support each other in a community and how it can look different for each of us. So isn't that encouraging? I think that's, it makes me excited. And I think there's still so many possibilities and changes to come for us. All right. So I know I also want to keep within a decent time. My daughter (laughs) actually had to exit. We were working on this for a couple hours, starting and stopping, and and she's actually going to go camping. Um, So I'm going to finish off the last of this on my own. um, And my daughter will be back for another episode. So we have a few more questions that I'll get to as well. Um, So the next one is, how do you see the end of homeschooling your own kids? That's another great question. And honestly, we take it year by year and we try to always remain flexible as to the needs of our kids and how we can meet them. So for example, that may look like my daughter going to school next year. I think I've talked about before how she mentioned a few years ago that she wanted to try school in grade seven. So in the fall, it will be grade seven. Will it happen that way? I don't know. She actually hasn't made her final decision, and she can wait until September to make that final decision. She can start and then change her mind. Uh, We're open to that, and we will see how that goes. For my son, it already seems like he is starting to embark on his independence. So, you know, really right now he says his next goal is to get his high school diploma in the way he would like to get it. So maybe I think we're probably looking at that being the end and that would be his end goal. But really it's funny because with unschooling, we don't look at it grade by grade or in those certain terms while with school, there's a certain finality to there to it isn't isn't there. There's that graduation process, which is the final end mark. Um, so right now, it's just a constant conversation that we continue to have, and I think it will look different for both of my kids. My daughter has talked about her goal of attending university, and she also has a goal of going to France for either travel or an exchange for a year when she's around 16, 17. So uh, she does have those later goals that really will help her get to, and then we'll go from there, keeping in constant communication with both of my children and knowing that we're here to support and encourage them. So the next question is, if you could have started your homeschooling journey differently, what would you have done differently and why? This is a great question, and it's actually a question that I've been asked more often than not lately. And actually, my answer is I wouldn't really have done too much else differently. I think we, you know, what what we did brought us to where we are now, and at the same time, what we did was the right start for our family. It was the right beginning. Uh, Maybe I would have tried to connect with some more homeschoolers. uh, Well, I didn't even know about unschooling when we first started, so that wouldn't have made a difference. But um, maybe I would have tried to connect with some homeschoolers before we left for our travels, before we moved to Jamaica first, because that's where we went when we first started our homeschooling journey. Um, Not even in Jamaica. I did try to connect with others in Jamaica and I couldn't find any, but in Canada, uh, just to maybe give a little bit of inspiration and feedback before we left. Uh, But honestly, I think it is what it is. And what happened really led us onto those paths that, that took us to where we are now. And if I had done anything differently, our homeschooling journey would have looked very differently from how it looks now. And this is where we are. So I think that's what I, where I would leave it at. Okay. What's it like raising teens in the iPhone age? Okay. So to be honest, my daughter and I recorded um, this question and answer this morning. And then we got into this other conversation and, and then we thought, oh, we'll re-record it. And um, I accidentally deleted that part. So 
Um, it's funny. So we had said, oh, we'll move that question to closer to the end and then we'll talk about this again. So here we are. Here I am on my own and my daughter is off camping. Okay. So what's it like raising teens in the iPhone age? I don't know any other age. This is the only age that I've raised teens in. So this is what we're experiencing for now. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I can compare it to when I was younger, the access that they have to everything, to the information that they have, to the apps that they have for learning. It's fantastic. I, I think my, you know, my daughter practicing her French and finding apps like Duolingo and just going on her own and, and practicing that and, and using, you know, apps like that. Otherwise, you know, there's always the wonderful social media that is a constant conversation. And, and that is something that um, I think with anything, whether it's iPhones, whether TV, uh, I remember the bane of for my parents when I was a teenager was just the telephone and talking on the phone. They were always like wanting me to get off the phone because I was talking on the phone too long with my friends. Um so, you know, I think no matter what, no matter what age we're in, having with our teens, it's taking the time to be present and take the time to to know that we're there to be a support and a listening ear and if and and know that there is open room for them to have a conversation. Um and that they can come to us with questions uh, about things. There is definitely, I know as well, because I my daughter's 12, um, there are, you know, things that I do want to know and talk about with her, especially with social media and what she sees on social media and um, talk about what things rep represent. And even behind the scenes earlier, I was talking about, you know, when it comes to, you know, those teen shows and movies and so many of the actors and actresses have actually never attended school themselves. But, um... You know, even the background of someone who makes a perfect video, but really what goes into it, the lighting that goes into it, the makeup that's done, the editing, you know, the most likely the staff that they have behind it, um, you know, talking about understanding what's real and what is presented as real, but has um, but really has all of these other functions and meanings behind it, too. Um, so it's definitely interesting for that. So we try and use the advantages and I'm still learning like all of us, you know, there's things where I think, oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we, you know, we've been pretty open with, I think, technology, but at the same time, there are still guidelines that we want our kids to, you know, that we encourage them to be part of the conversation with us. So for example, I ask, and you know, it doesn't always happen, but I ask that my, you know, my kids take some time from screens before they go to sleep at night. So for their brains to kind of have a shutdown process and, and not be watching screens up until they fall asleep. Um, but guess what? I don't always follow that practice myself. So if we're watching something together and then it's like, I'm going to bed, you know, what I've been talking about, I'm not following through with myself. Or if uh, we do that and my daughter comes into my room and I decide to check my phone, uh, I'm not modeling that either. So I think the biggest thing that is one of the big things for me is modeling anything that, I, you know, I say something, but I want to be able to model and practice that myself as well. Um, and I think that's always a really big constant practice. And it's hard because I know we hear so much about uh, technology and social media and screens and our kids being on them and trying to get them off of it. But the reality is we as parents are on all of those things more so than our kids are, if not the same amount. And so many times we say they should do this and shouldn't be doing this, but we're doing it. And you know, if they walked into the bathroom and they would know that we told everyone to get off their devices, but we're on their devices, <laughs> how does how does that work, right? So, um, yeah, I think raising teens in the iPhone age is just still that um, it's still a part of the continuous conversation and learning experiences as we go forward. And I'm really excited and curious to know what it's going to be like for my kids when they are my age. You know, the shifts in all of that. Well, how different technology will be for those new generations as well. 
So thank you for joining us on this 100th episode celebration. I think it's probably time that I close out. I'm going to go outside for a little bit. My daughter is already gone. She's gone camping. You know, this is kind of how we flow. We do things as we need to get them in and how it works for our days. And I am so happy and I really appreciate you being here on this journey. Whether you have tuned in for the first time today or whether you've been with us for all five seasons, I'm so grateful and happy to share this journey and our journey with you as well. So to continue celebrating this 100th episode week, I will be doing giveaways this week. So just check out either my email list and social media, Instagram, um, Facebook, and Clubhouse. Go to any of those channels and you can hear about the different giveaways that Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids will be offering, as well as other partners that we've collaborated with that will be offering um offering gifts to you as well to celebrate this 100th episode, things that we've enjoyed using in our home that I think others might as well. So thank you. And I hope all of these answers to these questions came to you at the right time, place, and space. And if you have further questions, just be in contact with me and I'll explore them more on future episodes or through other avenues that we engage in conversations like these.